Our gospel this morning is from John chapter 6. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was, that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, got into a boat, and started across the lake to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The lake became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the lake and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land towards which they were going. The word of our Lord. Good morning. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in whom we live and move and have our being. I've been preaching regularly at Calvary for about seven, eight, nine months, something like that. But there was a time when it was very sporadic. It was occasional when our pastor would go out of town that I would be called upon to preach. So it was entirely coincidental that I preached on this exact same text three years ago. And I save all my sermons, and for a brief moment I thought, maybe I'll just recycle it. After all, you've never heard me preach on the feeding of the 5,000, and even over at Calvary, where I'm preaching following this, I have no illusions that what I share from the pulpit is so riveting that they remember every word. But I read through what I'd written three years ago, and it wasn't really exactly what I wanted to say today. So much for the easy way out. Of course, the text itself hasn't changed, nor have the conditions of our daily living so much that my original points wouldn't be valid anymore. But the beauty of Scripture is that it is a living, breathing thing. The word of God changes as God changes in our lives. It's a story that continues to this day, and we are in it 
And that is really important, and I'll come back to that. As such, the, text, the same text says different things to each of us at different times in our lives. This doesn't negate the empirical truth of God's word, but in fact enriches it. It points to the fact of God's incomprehensible complexity and abundant goodness. We can't simply fit the fact of who God is into a simple box of our own creation. It just doesn't work. So here we are again, encountering probably one of the most well-known stories in all of the Bible. It's in all four Gospels, which means it's pretty important, though each of the four Gospel writers comes at it from a slightly different angle, highlighting a different aspect of who Jesus is. I'm told that rather than seeing this as inconsistencies in the way the facts line up, instead we should look at it as if four individual portrait painters are painting a portrait of Jesus. Each of these master artists would create something very rich and nuanced that would highlight an aspect of the person. And though each of the four portraits may look different, taken together, they give us a fuller picture of who Jesus is for us. So today's gospel is from the book of John. And it's actually just a setup for a much larger discourse that you'll be hearing about for the next four weeks in which Jesus does this miracle, which John calls a sign, and then unpacks it for his disciples. Ultimately, we learn that it is Jesus himself who is the bread of life sent for all of us. But I'm not going to steal Pastor Scott's thunder or any other preachers for the coming weeks. I'm going to stay right here in this part of the story where Jesus performs the miracle. So what's it all about? We know the story. We could probably recite the basics from memory. Ultimately, it's a story about abundance. For most of the Old Testament period, the Israelite people didn't use money as we understand it now. Wealth was measured in land and material goods, and the way people expressed generosity was through food. If you look at the Old Testament, all the offerings to God in the temple were food. When Abraham enter entertained strangers, it was by fixing them a sandwich. It was food. In Psalm 23, God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, and our cup overflows. The people Jesus was preaching to and teaching in his ministry would have understood this concept, even though money was well established by the time of Jesus. Food was still a sign of God's abundance. And as Lutherans, it still is. But there is a, not, a lot more to this than the simple Sunday school-ready idea that God provides. What can we learn from this story and those related to it in today's lectionary that inspire and bless us that, to live into our faith in our daily lives? So we don't read the Old Testament lesson here at Shepherd of the Hill, so I'm going to read it for you because they are so intimately connected. This is from the, book, the second book of Kings, and it says, A man came from Baal-Shalashah, bringing food from the first fruits to the man of God, twenty loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. Elisha said, give it to the people and let them eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred people? So he repeated, give it to the people and let them eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. He said it before them. They ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Of course, this story was chosen for the lectionary because it sets up today's gospel lesson. And Jesus' listeners would have known the story and seen, probably with a great deal of wonder, just how much greater was the sign of God's abundance through Jesus than it had been through Elisha. But what I notice 
about the two stories is where you and I fit in. To come back to that idea that this scripture is a living, breathing story of which we today are a part. What speaks to me in connecting these two stories is not the central role of Elisha and Jesus, but the part played by the everyday person, the child of God, through whom God's miraculous abundance is revealed. In the Old Testament lesson, an Israelite man is just doing his duty by the law. He's giving his offering, his first fruits, like us sticking our pledge envelopes in the plate. It's just one guy bringing his one portion to Elisha, willingly, dutifully, and gladly. And Elisha says to feed 100 people with it, and the guy says, nonsense, can't be done. But he does what Elisha says, and of course, it is enough. It is more than enough. In the gospel, we have a boy with a few loaves of bread and some fish. And I don't get the sense that the disciples are shaking him down for his lunch. He willingly gives them the food that he had brought with him. But I imagine he's as skeptical as the disciples. There's no way this is enough. But they do what Jesus says. And of course, it is enough. It is more than enough. In both of these stories, people step forward to offer what little they have, and God makes it enough. How many of you, when putting your offering into the plate, think, oh yeah, this will pay all the church's bills and end hunger at the same time? Not me, I'll tell you. I don't know about you, but no matter how much I give to no matter what cause I give it, I get the sense that it's just not enough. My daughter, who will be 19 in a couple of weeks, holy cow, recently got her first job. She's making money. She asked me to help make a budget for her. So she had categories set aside for the really important things like video games and costume pieces and travel. And I told her she needed to have a category in there for donating. Ever since they were little, when they would get allowance, a part of that would go into a donate pot. And she balked. She fought me on it. Why do I have to do that? And at first I thought, well, she just didn't want to give up her money. But I pushed her on it. I said, well, this is an important part of who we are. We give back what we've so generously been given. What's the problem? And finally she got around to it. She said, well, what's the point? Because first of all, I'm so overwhelmed. I can't even research what I'd want to give it to. There's just too many options. And what difference is it going to make anyway? And it really gave me pause. And I had to think about how to respond to her. And how I responded to her is how I'm going to respond to you. Because how many of us feel the same way when we're confronted with the enormity of the issues of poverty and injustice and environmental degradation all around us? Why bother? I don't know about you, but I'm not God. And I don't pretend to understand exactly who God is and how God works. All I know is that God is all-loving and all-powerful and that through God I have enough and I am enough. God can do through me what I have absolutely no power to do by myself. I have one job and that is to offer what I can and let God take care of the rest. Like the man of Balshalashah and the little boy with his loaves and fishes, we step forward with what little we have, and God makes it enough. It's not up to us. 
We can't let overwhelm stop us from being generous. Neither Elisha nor Jesus multiplied nothing, by the way, though we can assume that at least Jesus had the power to do that. They took what was offered freely and worked a miracle. Don't look at all the things you can't possibly fix. Don't take a plastic Ziploc bag with a few supplies for a homeless man and think that's not going to make a difference. Recognize that apart from God, we can't fix anything. And then offer what you can and let God do the multiplying. We can even be skeptical, like the man at Belshalashah and the boy with the loaves and fishes, but we do it anyway. We do what God calls us to do, and it will be enough. It will be more than enough. Amen.